Good morning, everyone. Uh, if you haven't met me or don't know much about me, I'm Gary Cartagena. I am uh, one of the co-leaders of the Plymouth community with my beautiful wife, Debbie. And uh, yeah, so that's how we roll. Um, so I'm the type of guy who uh, likes to read the last chapter of these big books, you know, first. Um, now, uh, part of that, I don't think it's because I don't like surprises so much. Um, in fact, I, half the time I don't even understand what I'm reading because it's completely out of context and, you know, I don't know the characters and all that other stuff. Um, I think it's, um, it's because I like to know where the journey's going, right? Um, and uh, that, uh, we see that a lot, though. We see a lot of, of things online, you know, uh, where, for movies or, or even football games that we've waited to watch, right? And, like, you're, you're trying not to stay on your phone or you're trying to stay off your phone and all that stuff. What, do we know what those are called, right? Anyone know that word? Yeah, spoilers, right, spoilers. Um, so I think part of me does that, on, uh, like I said, because I want to know where the journey's taking me, but honestly, I think I mostly want to know if it's worth my time. So uh, since you get to listen to me today, I'm going to give you some quick spoilers, um, partly so that you understand how I communicate and partly so you know if you can tune out already. Um, so one is I tend to talk really fast. Um, and I talk really fast because I think I have a lot to say and I want to get it all out before my brain gets distracted and I get interrupted. Um, so uh, if I'm like talking too fast and you can't understand me or if I get too distracted, uh, you, you have permission to get my attention or my wife has permission to throw things at me. Of course, she just figured this out because I just told her. Um, I didn't warn her ahead of time because I wanted to see that reaction. So yeah, that's the greatest part. Um, two, we're going to talk about the words of Jesus as we have been, but specifically on the idea of having faith like a child. Our primary reading is going to come from Matthew 18, uh, 1 through 5, plus a little bit of uh, chapter 19, starting at verse 13. But, and we'll spend most of our time there in Matthew, but I'm going to jump back and forth a little bit just to make some points or key ideas. Um, and uh, so those of us who like to prepare, you can find that spot in your Bible, uh, whether it's digital or paper or, or what have you, um, and uh, just so that you can kind of uh, know where we're going. Uh, three, whether you're a longtime believer or someone who is just starting to explore faith, all of us were given the opportunity to be called children of God and co-heirs in God's kingdom. And that's huge. It's a huge deal. And I'm, I'm going to hope, I, or I hope, and I'm going to try to do a good job of explaining why that's such a big deal and why that's important. Um, so, uh, yeah, with that, I'm going to jump right in. Uh, actually, a little bit more about me before we get too far. Um, by trade, I've been a technology and business consultant for over 20 years, um, but personally, my passion and my heart has been working in uh, men's ministry and men's groups to help build foundational relationships with Jesus. Um, I was baptized as a senior in high school, which is a much longer history than we have time to go into, but uh, if you want to spend some time and get coffee with me, we could talk about it. But it wasn't really until uh, I was about to become a husband and father that I actually began to seek Jesus with all of my heart and all of my mind. After a couple of years of being fully engaged in the church we grew up in, um, we, because we've known each other since high school, um, I was called to be a leader for other men. And after we moved here years ago, I continued to be involved in, uh, in men's groups as a leader and as an organizer up until this last year. But I want to make something pretty clear. This is not my job. It's not my training. I didn't go to college, uh, a Christian college or a Bible school, and I don't have a degree in Bibleology. And yes, that's a made-up word. Um, I'm a product of community. Others have poured life into me. That means they spent time to actively engage and share the astonishing and historic reality of who Jesus is. 
They taught me how to read my Bible, how to understand context and reference materials. They modeled how to pray and how to listen to the leading of God's Spirit as He answered prayers. They walked alongside me when I struggled with addiction and anger issues. During this time, I learned that I could be the father and husband that my family deserved. Even though my earliest childhood baggage and the model for what that role is was that of a broken family, a father who gave us leftovers as he chose the world over us, and he eventually left. Community showed me I was a beloved child of the most loving father in existence. And because of them, I know I am loved, I am valued, and I'm forgiven. I'm not perfect in any of these roles, but I'm better than I used to be. I'm better than every day because of my desire to pursue after Jesus. It's because of that community, like a child, I get to stand up here like a child who wakes up the day after Christmas and talk about the amazing Heavenly Father that I have and the amazing, fantastic gifts He's given us. That's the only reason, my boy. Okay, so how many of us are familiar with the difference between head knowledge and heart knowledge? Okay, Phil talked a little bit about that uh, last week when he mentioned the difference between knowing something or knowing about something and really knowing something, right? Um, and maybe you aren't familiar with my exact terms, so uh, hopefully you'll hear me speak again sometime. And so I'll, let me go ahead and explain that since I tend to use that phrase a lot. So head knowledge is all about like facts and figures and trends, right? Two plus two is generally four, except in higher math where they get a little crazy with unreal numbers. Water is wet, fire is, is hot, the sky is blue, and at least according to Audacity Online, Tom Brady is the most decorated NFL player of all time. Okay, that last one was just to see if y'all are paying attention. I saw a little, few people perk up when they heard football. For the most part, these are facts, right? People regurgitate them or they recite them and you can look them up, right? But in general, they don't necessarily incite passion or instill life change unless you happen to be a huge football fan or an NFL pro, right? On the other hand, heart knowledge are the things that we don't just know, but we feel at our core. We believe in them. We restructure our lives around them. And when heart knowledge is heard and accepted, it moves us because it requires a response. It makes us do something. So today my goal is to share a few pieces of head knowledge and they'll be primarily scripture and commentary, but as I share these quotable bits, I hope some of these points become heart knowledge. To help that, I'll discuss why childlike faith matters, what we can and should do about it, and I'm going to try to engage you a little bit. Does that sound fair? We okay? Good? Okay. I also tend to talk to you guys a lot, and you have permission to answer me. It's okay. I'm usually the loudest person over here, and my wife has to elbow me because I talk too much, but you, know, you have permission. It's good. <laughs> so today we're looking at the words of Jesus. In Matthew, Jesus speaks of children in a most beloved way, and he compares the disciples and those of us who follow to that of a child. The passage where we start our journey together today is Matthew 18, starting at verse 1. And 18, 1 through 5 says, At that hour, or at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, So who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a small child and had him stand among them. Truly I tell you, he said, unless you turn and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child, this is the one who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes or receives one child like this welcomes me, in my, or in my name welcomes me. 
So to set the scene, Jesus is with his crew, his posse, right? The disciples and all of his followers. And the disciples are having this discussion amongst themselves. Well, honestly, it wasn't really a discussion. It was more like this heated debate, okay, about who was the most important to the ministry. If we cross-reference this with Mark in chapter 9, we see that they're actually on the road to Capernaum. And during their travel time, they were arguing amongst themselves, all while trying to keep it out of Jesus' earshot. But once they reached their destination and the place where they'll be staying for their ministry effort, Jesus confronts them about it. And the best part about this exchange is that Jesus knew all along about the argument, and, and, and it's just astonishing. You know, we think we're going to keep this from Jesus, the Son of God. Yeah, that, that's not a reality. If we look at this interaction in Luke, we actually get a better picture, starting at uh, chapter 9, verse 46. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took the little child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. Whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is least among you who is the greatest. Now, while this has a potential to be a great mic drop moment, it isn't something that's completely clear to the disciples or even to us sometimes. The questions that dominate my mind and probably the minds of those who are listening were, does he mean little children? Do we have to become younger again? Like, you know, little kids? Is this a metaphor? And if so, what does that mean? Who are these children? I mean, I don't get it. One of the great things about the uh, words of Jesus is that he's often completely literal while still conveying a much deeper meaning. In this instance, Jesus talks about children in two slightly different contexts. The first is about becoming like the children, and the second is about welcoming the children into his presence. We're going to look at the second instance first. Um, to do that, we're going to look at Paul's letter to the Romans in chapter 8, verse 14. He says, For all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons or children, and for you who did, for you, sorry, for you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we call out, cry out, Abba, or Daddy, Father. The Spirit himself testifies, together with our spirit, that we are God's children. So who are these children? Those of us who want to know and believe in Jesus are his children. However, Jesus has never been exclusive to just believers. Scripture makes it very clear, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Or to make it more personal, while I was still sinning, Christ paid the penalty for me. This is not a contradiction to our theology. In fact, it's an enforcement of it. We see Jesus love this out if we go back to Matthew verse, uh, chapter 19, verse 13. And he says, Then the little children were brought to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. And Jesus said, Leave the little children alone and don't try to keep them from coming to me because the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these or heaven is made of such ones. After placing his hands on them, he went from there. So there's a much bigger, greater truth about bringing people to meet Jesus that I don't have time to go into today, and it's not my topic. However, Jesus desires new children to be led to him because that's how he builds his family. So remember, each one of us who now believes started our journey as that kid across the crowded room who was brought to Jesus. And our father has open arms. 
Now, I've never experienced this in our church family, um, but let's still be very careful in this very polarizing world right now not to become guarded or jaded, right? Uh, Phil said something earlier today about being less guarded, okay? Let's never make this an us versus them scenario, even when trying to defend our faith. Because if it is an us versus them scenario, if it was an us versus them scenario, we would never have been an us to begin with. So since we're all given the right to become children of God, what are the characteristics of children that Jesus is looking for? Ooh, very good. Yeah. So, you know, children in general have many qualities, right? If we associate, uh, that we associate with them, some are more, let's say, entertaining, like impatience, restlessness, the inability to whisper, and a knack for saying out loud the one thing everybody else is thinking but are too polite to say. The one that I hear is, oh, why is that man so hairy? Oh, oh yeah. Is that Santa? All right, no. Um, <laughs> who knows what we call those things? We call that behavior pattern. It's childishness, right? It's being childish. And that's not what God is looking for. In fact, we're reminded in Ephesians 4.14 that we need to grow up and not be childish because there's a distinct difference between being childish and being childlike, which is what we're actually called to. So when Jesus points to children and says we must be childlike, what does he mean? Unfortunately, he doesn't make us wait too long. As uh, Miss Jillian pointed out, Matthew 18, 4, he says, Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child, this one is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. I like the, uh, the Message Bible translates it really well. I, I love the way it comes out because it says, Whoever becomes simple or elemental or basic, again. So it's about removing some of that complexity from our faith. See, the quality that make us, the qualities that make us great in the kingdom of heaven do not come from performance, prestige, or pride. You can't earn it. You can't influence it. Actions, words, or connections don't matter. The quality Jesus is looking for that make us great in his kingdom come from a foundation of humility and simplicity. I'm going to say that again. The qualities Jesus is looking for the qualities that make us great in God's kingdom come from a faith founded in humility and simplicity. So what does that look like? So I want to suggest three childlike qualities we can pursue to uncomplicate our faith and reinvigorate our spiritual walk. There's a quote from um, the website compellingtruth.org on the topic of childlike faith. I like the way they put this says, the world sometimes misunderstands the idea of childlike faith, thinking that Christians are, like, are childlike because they believe in myths and fairy tales. But this is not the Bible's meaning when it compares us to children. Instead, childlike faith is a metaphor for trust, dependence, and love, and an encouragement to ask for what we need. So with that in mind, our first quality is reliance. Children are humble because they are innate and innately aware of how little life experience they have. They know that the world is new to them, foods, people, experience. They know that they don't understand it. And they know that they are reliant on parents and caregivers to provide in those areas. Because of this reliance, they are eager to ask. 
They ask for food, they ask for safety and shelter, they ask for comfort or to be held. And with a reliance, that reliance comes trust. A trust based on the reality that their needs are being met. Even more than that, even more than just meeting needs, they ask for their heart's desire. I looked at the best gifts uh, for 2021 as cited by USA Today Online. And number one on the list is National Geographic's Mega Crystal Growing Lab. I always hear that name and I just think of, uh, ever hear those commercials on the radio for the Monster Truck Rally? And it's like, Mega Truck Rally. When I read that, I was like, Mega Crystal Growing Lab. Ah, ha, ha. No, okay. So um, it's, it's basically this little chemistry set where you can pour these chemical solutions in into these little beakers and, you know, these crystals grow over a couple of days. And it's really cool, right? Um, but whether it's the Mega Crystal Growing Lab or the latest Nintendo Switch, which, by the way, is number three on that list, they aren't afraid to ask. They aren't afraid to hear no or wait because if they don't ask, they won't ever hear yes from the parent who loves them. With a reliance on God comes trust, as I said, a trusting based on the reality that he's meeting our needs. So let me ask you today, how are you reliant on your Heavenly Father? Are you walking through life completely self-sufficient, saying, I've got this? What have you trusted or asked God for lately? And finally, what are you trusting, for what are you trusting in God? Mary Beth Chapman, wife of Stevis Curtis Chapman, wrote a book called Choosing to See about how her family struggled to move forward after the death of their daughter Maria. And in it she wrote, I know God loves me and my family. I know God is sovereign and he knows what is best for us. I know he has had our days numbered and makes no mistakes. I know that he will bring beauty from ashes. That is what I cling to in order to make it through another 24 hours. That's her reliance on God. So the second characteristic is being teachable. With their unintentional humility, children know that they don't know. They may not know what they don't know, but they know they don't know it. They just know that, um, yeah, there's, there's, there's not a lot of knowledge in there. I don't know how to tie my shoes. I don't know how to feed myself half the, you know, early on. And in, uh, in my previous life, I uh, used to be a daycare giver and a preschool teacher, and I got to observe this age of questions. Um, who's familiar with this? Little ones with the age of questions? Yeah, yeah. And you new parents, once they start talking, you're going to wish this was over. Um, <laughs> It's that, it's that stage between ages two and four when the questions begin, right? Um, this is the, the why questions start first. They're soon followed by the who and the what questions, right? The why. Why is the sky blue? Why do dogs have fur but birds have feathers? Um, why do I have to go to bed before the sun goes down? I don't get it. Kids are little scientists. They're constantly testing boundaries and the process of cause and effect, sometimes without actually processing the idea of consequences, um, all because they're really new. They're learning about the world around them, and this makes them incredibly teachable. Humility in our faith means asking for clarity on the things we don't understand. Even William Shakespeare wrote, A fool thinks himself to be wise, but a wise man knows himself to be a fool. The ability and need to ask questions is so important to our faith that it's a part of the Bible. If you ever feel uncomfortable asking questions, try taking a look at Psalms. 
Many psalms contain questions like, why is this happening? Or how long will this go on? There are even some that ask where God is in the midst of, his suffer, of, of our suffering. And I say, uh, Psalm 42.9 starts, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go on mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? God the Father sees us as children exploring our boundaries. He witnesses our struggles, and he sees our attempts to become who he designed us to be. And he gives us the love and support we need to grow. This is the essence of grace. He forgives us when we fall short of his standards, and he encourages us to pursue being more like Jesus. And a child is not afraid to, afraid to ask when they don't understand. And they hear and absorb answers, but sometimes they'll ask again because they don't quite understand the answer they're given. But they still ask again. Questions are the core of seeking after God, and learning to listen to the answers are what make that seeking complete. Proverbs 3, 5, and 7 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Don't be wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord and depart from evil. And then in Jeremiah 33, God actually says to us, call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. Now to me, that sounds like an invitation. Answers come from all kinds of places. They can come by way of a Bible verse or a teaching, an inspirational idea, or the person sitting across from you at the lunch table. But his answers can almost always be confirmed in Scripture. And an answer from God will not break his promises or his commands. So let me ask you, where can you learn and grow? Where can you be teachable? Have you asked your Heavenly Father for guidance lately? And if so, are you actually open to receiving his answer? Now, the third characteristic is gratitude. A byproduct of asking should always be gratitude. Sometimes we don't even remember asking. But we have clothes, we have transportation, food, internet, we have smartphones that are more powerful than the entirety of the Mercury space program that put a man on the moon in your pocket. Now, you may not remember, but you asked for some of these things, or if not all, at some point. And while you may not remember, God does. And not to be self-serving, but when a child is grateful, how much more inclined are we to do for them? 1 Thessalonians 5.16, uh, starting at 16, says, Rejoice always, pray constantly, and give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you. It's pretty clear. And with gratitude comes enthusiastic praise. When you are grateful, don't hold that inside. Share your gratitude with others. Example, Psalm 9, starting at verse 1, says, I will thank the Lord with all of my heart. I will declare or tell of your wondrous works. I will rejoice and boast about you. I will sing about your name, most high. That's enthusiastic praise. Have you ever been in the company of a child, like a toddler when they're eating, right? I don't know uh, your experience, but I can't tell you how many times a little one has tried to feed me the Cheerios out of their little bowl with their sloppy, sloppy little hands, you know, because they don't have the little manual dexterity to, like, pick up a chip or a french fry like we do and just put it in our mouths. They actually grab it with their whole fist, and they just chow it, oh, 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 all right? And it's just like, 
all gooby and slobbery and, and you know, snotty. And, um, yeah, the, the funny or worst part about that is I almost always take it. Okay. <laughs> One, because they're absolutely adorable and I mean, immensely cute. It's just, I can't, I can't not. They have these little chubby hands and it's great. But two, because I understand something. And that understanding is that they are showing an expression of gratitude for something they have been given that makes them happy. And they want to share that. If you're grateful and are worried about being boastful, then learn how to share, just like the little ones do. Gratitude does not only come in the form of thank you. Gratitude, when shared with others, becomes generosity. If you have money and savings and are grateful, you should be giving and giving generously. If you have food and shelter or a home and are grateful, you should be extending hospitality. If you have free time because your needs are met or your kids are grown, and I'm calling myself out on this one, you should be serving. And since we are all loved and accepted by our Heavenly Father, which we all are, we should be sharing His love with each other and those connected, disconnected from Jesus. These are expressions of gratitude. So let me ask you today, what are you grateful for? For what have you praised God? And finally, with whom are you sharing your expressions of gratitude and how? Now, I want to close our time with a, uh, with a challenge. Um, and uh, I'm probably going to go a little over, not on time, but on my, uh, on my thing. But I'm going to invite the, the worship team to come up. Um, over the next few weeks, I want you to make a list or send yourself notes. Extra credit if you share them with community or friends. You can use a paper or a digital device, but I want you to write yourself notes every day. If you're using a phone, just send yourself a text or an email. And uh, here are the, the three things. Write down anything for which you are relying on God. Is it health? Is it patience? Is it gas? Is it paying off your student loans? I'm almost 50 and I'm still praying about that one. Mm. Write down any ideas in which you want or need to learn and grow. Where can you be teachable? And if you don't have anything for that question, come talk to me. We'll find one. And third, write down what you are grateful for and how you're sharing that gratitude with others. Then I want you to pray over these things. And as God responds to prayers... Check the messages you've sent to yourself. Now, I me, mean, I bought this. It's uh, just a little notebook I got at Target. I think the earliest, yep, the earliest uh, entry here is August 13th, 2018. And this is a collection of thoughts, prayers, prayer requests. Um, some of it's dreams, some of it's sermon ideas, or, or things that I write about, because I write a men's, uh, a men's ministry blog. And... In some of my darkest times, some of my times when I felt the most disconnected, I can go back to these pages and see all the checkboxes where God has stepped into my life and provided. So I invite you to do the same thing. 